You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. So we're in the book of Matthew. We are finishing up the Sermon on the Mount and talking about this topic of judging others. Just to get our heads back into the book and the context, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew uh, chapters 5 through 7, and it is some very dense content. We've been in these chapters for quite a few weeks because it is a full-bodied sermon by Jesus Christ, and the topic is how to live a fulfilled life. What is wisdom from God about how to live a meaningful, purposeful, love-filled, enjoyable life, connecting with other people and connecting with God? And so that, that deserves some reflection and some time to look at this stuff and, and, uh, and chew on it a bit. And he's talked about a bunch of different things. Uh, talked about the difference between just outward ritual and religion versus having a personal relationship with God. Talked about wealth and anxiety and you know, the way that we go through this life and the things that matter. What do we value and why and how what you values will in a big way determine the course of your life. We talked two, three weeks ago about the importance of putting God first, that if you put God first in your life and you make him the most important thing and your relationship with him the most important thing, it makes you a better spouse, it makes you a better parent, it makes you a better friend, it makes you a more loving person because your life is more centered around the things that really matter. And so he's been going through and just kind of laying this groundwork and this this path for how in this life we can have an incredible experience of relationships both with God and with our fellow man. And then he gets into this topic about judging others. And this is under the same heading. It's not like Jesus all of a sudden just radically shifted in a different direction. It's something that's very important. It's a confusing topic. If you just sort of skim through the Bible, you'll see various passages that talk about this. And it can be difficult at first glance to marry them together into a cohesive message. But that's what we're going to try to do. What Jesus says here at the beginning of chapter 7, where we're going to be tonight, he says, do not judge so that you will not be judged. This is a well-known verse in our culture of the Bible. But unfortunately, it's one of those things where people know this verse mostly because they find Christians to be judgmental and they love the idea of quoting the Bible to show us that we're messed up. Worse than that is the fact that we are messed up. Is the fact that by and large, we deserve it. You know, if we went out on the street and we just started pulling people off the sidewalk, we said, what's the first thing you think of when you think of a Christian? What would they say? A lot of people would say judgmental. A lot of people would say hypocritical. A lot of people would say uninclusive. Those are the kinds of things that I think a lot of people in our culture would say, and I think it behooves us to take a moment and reflect on why that is. 
I think it would be wrong to say, well, the world is hostile to the things of God. I mean, that is true. And I think, you know, we can do it all right, and we can be great examples of who God wants us to be, and the world will still be hostile. But have we done it right? Are we doing that well? And I don't mean just us in this room or this church, but I mean just in the, in the sense of Christianity in America, it, what defines it, how is it portrayed, how is it understood, not just in the media, not just on the grand scale, but in individual people's lives. If you talk to them and say, what is your experience with Christians, how many, would be, how, many, how many of them would say, you know, I think they got some kooky ideas. I'm not sure I agree with them, but man, they are loving people. They really are amazing. I've, I've never met anybody as loving as that. This is my favorite bumper sticker. God, protect me from your followers. As a pastor, I would love to have this on my car. But I don't think people would understand what I mean by it. <laughs> but this is, this is a, a, the sentiment of a lot of what we're dealing with in our culture. And being judgmental or being harsh or being uninclusive or being hypocritical is not what Jesus told us should be our defining characteristic. I like in John 13, 35, he says, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's supposed to be our defining characteristic. Whether you agree with us or not, you know that we love people. We love each other. We love our neighbors. We love people who disagree with us. We love them all. Because they're all created in the image of God. They're all image bearers. And we are all a part of God's family and his creation. And every person you've ever met is beloved by God. As a beloved son or daughter. And that is really the goal. That's, that's what should be in our mindset. Is We can't do anything about the media. And we can't do anything about... Uh, the way that Christianity is viewed as a whole in our culture, but we can do a lot about the way that Christianity is viewed by the people who are in our lives. Those people, what do they say? What are their impressions? Your neighbors, your family members, your co-workers, do they know you're a Christian? Do they know that you're serious about it? Do they know that you're hardcore? And do they see you as an amazing example of something that they don't see anywhere else? God's love. That's the goal. That's the mission. So we read this, and it's kind of an interesting section. He says, do not judge so you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured out to you. Why do you look at the speck? that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, or they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." 
There's a lot going on there. I think it's fairly confusing. If you think about it, we're warned not to judge others or we will be judged. Scary. I don't want to be judged, and I know in my heart I do judge others. So that bothers me. Uh, We're told to take the log out of our own eye before we take the speck out of others. You know, that's just saying, you be, you do you, is what Jesus is saying. You should be more focused on how your selfishness, your problems affect other people and way less focused, way, way less focused on how their problems affect you. Because what's in your control is your actions. And then finally, he tells us not to judge people, and then he calls them dogs and pigs and says we shouldn't talk to them. (laughs) Jesus, that seems a little judgmental. It's a little inconsistent seeming. Don't judge others, don't judge them, and if they don't listen to you, they're dogs and pigs, and don't talk to them. Well, some of that's cultural, some of that's linguistics, you know, uh, and some of it's, it is a critique, for sure. And so I want to unpack this a little bit. And in order to do that, I think we have to talk about judgment. There's these important considerations when we talk about the word judgment. For one thing, there's different types of judgment, and we're going to talk about that. That word judgment, in our, in our language, can mean many different things, and in the Greek, that word judgment means many different things. Also, it has a lot to do with motives. Why are you judging and in what way? What's in your heart when you judge? And I think we're also going to see from this passage that relational context is very important when we talk about something like judgment. So let's talk about types of judgment. The word here in the Greek, the language in which this letter was originally written, is krino. And it's very similar to the English word judgment. It's well translated. But the English word judgment has a pretty broad spectrum of meaning as it does in the Greek. It can mean to render a verdict. A judge, your job is to sentence someone else. And obviously Jesus is not saying being a judge is a sinful profession, right? Jesus is into into order and law and civilization and all those things. So that rendering a verdict in that sense of of a judge judging and sentencing someone is not really what he has in mind. Condemnation is more in in the realm of what Jesus is talking about. Condemning someone else, putting yourself over them as though you were superior and deciding their value. And then Crino can also be used in the same way we would use it. We don't use the word judgment this way a lot, but it does have that meaning in terms of evaluate. How do I look at something and decide, is it good, is it bad, is it happy, is it sad, is it, what is it? We're judging when we do that. And as we'll see, that's not what Jesus is talking about either. Condemnation is more in the wheelhouse of what he's talking about. And more specifically, religious condemnation, to decide that someone else deserves hell. To look at someone else and say, I know where you're going, and I know why, is not our job. 
It's not our role. For one thing, it's far too important to be a decision left up to humans. We have a lot of problems. Uh, we lack objectivity. Let's face it, if we were in charge and we got to decide who goes to heaven and who goes to hell, the people we like get to go to heaven, and the people who make us happy, regardless of what they do and how moral they are, and the people who annoy us because go to hell because we don't want to be around them. We also lack consistency. We would send people to hell for doing things that we do that we know are wrong. And that's not fair. That's not okay. We lack authority. We are not God. All of us are equal. There is no difference in value, no difference in authority between any of us. We are children in the family of God. God is the ultimate authority. We don't have the right to decide or to choose or to act as though we know where people are going. And frankly, we're guilty of all the things that deserve condemnation. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us is disqualified on the basis of we should be in the prison. We don't get to be the judge. We should be in the prison. What the Bible talks about here and what Jesus is talking about is that God alone has both the right and the responsibility to judge. James says it real well in James 4, verse 12. He says, there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and to destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? It is not our job to condemn other people. God, on the other hand, is qualified. He's the creator of all things. This is the God of Genesis chapter 1 who spoke, who said, let there be light, and all the stars and the sun sprang into existence. It's like when you're a kid and you go to the beach and you're building a sandcastle, like you know that that sandcastle, it's a sandcastle, it's not going to last forever, right? And the tide may come and wash it away, it will you know, before, if you do it at the beginning of the week, it will be gone if no one smashes it. It will just be gone by the end of the week. But when your big sister comes along and smashes your sandcastle, you get pissed. And the reason is, is because it's not hers. I have a big sister, by the way. You put the work into it. It's a work of your creation. You put the energy and the time. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to someone else. If you're a little bit older like I am, another way of thinking about this is, you know, when you have kids, you want to train them and you want to help them grow and, and you have a lot that you want to teach them and you want to discipline them. And there may be others that you allow and you entrust with the job of disciplining your kids, meaning grandparents or close friends or teachers, but if a stranger on the street comes over and starts admonishing your kids and wants to give them a spank, you better watch out. Because that person has no right to insert themselves into that situation. And we are God's creation. We are God's children. And so for us to turn to one another, point the finger at each other, condemn one another, judge one another, and treat one another as though one of us is superior to the other pisses God off because it is his creation 
He's also all-knowing, so he's able to track all the different aspects of a certain situation. He is the rightful qualified judge because he has all the data. He knows the thoughts and intentions of the heart and of all parties involved. He's also merciful, meaning he is reluctant. He doesn't want to judge. He loves us. He will uphold justice. He will not allow evil to go unpunished, but he loves us. And he doesn't want to see us perish. He's also all-powerful, so there's nothing any of us can do about it anyway. If you don't like it, I'm sorry. Alpha and Omega and that whole thing. And he's impartial. Meaning that he loves all of us equally, so he doesn't favor certain people over others when it comes to justice. He's the perfect judge. What Jesus is talking about here at the beginning, don't judge others or you will be judged yourself, is saying to condemn another person is a grievous sin. That's one of the sins you'll need to be forgiven for if you do it, or more like when you do it. But this is not our job. Romans 2.1, therefore you have no excuse, every one of you who passes judgment For in that which you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who, for who are you to judge? uh, For you who judge, practice the same things. God hates hypocrisy, and He doesn't need us running around policing one another, telling other people what to do, and and whether or not they're right or, or they're wrong, and condemning and putting each other down. That is not our job. But crino also means to evaluate. It doesn't just mean to condemn. It also means to evaluate. And evaluation is something that's good. This is where some of the confusion in the Bible comes in regards to this whole topic of we shouldn't judge. Judging is terrible. And then we're also told in other places that we should crino. Like, for example, we're told that we need to be able to judge good from evil Not in other people. The Bible's pretty clear. Everyone's evil. There's no such thing as a good person. There are some people who are itsy bitsy ditsy tiny little bit better or less evil than others. Your mother Teresa's versus your Hitler. But from God's perspective, that's a teeny tiny difference. Because they're both so far from perfect. But in terms of our actions, how we should live our lives, what we should do, we are called to be able to determine and understand the difference between good things and bad things. Hebrews 5.14 says, but solid food is for the mature who because of practice have had their senses trained to discern, to judge the difference between good and evil. How do you get practice in that? You read your Bible and you fail a lot. That's how you do that. You try to figure out, I want to live my life for God. I want to understand what God says. I come to Bible studies. I talk to people. I talk about what I'm doing in my life. And then I screw up. And I say, oh, I screwed up. I don't want to do that again. 
God, help me to be the kind of person that doesn't do this kind of thing again. And we come together and we try to help each other. We try to grow. That is what we're talking about. And in order to do that, you have to know the difference between what's good and what's bad. We're also told to judge biblical teaching from heresy. Jesus gives it to us right here in our chapter, Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so then you will know them by their fruits. We're called to listen to what people say, and if they say they're speaking to God, we need to compare it to the Bible because we know that comes from God, and if they contradict the Bible, they're bad. What they're saying is wrong. And we can also look at the effect. Are they generally helping people grow and become more patient, more kind, more gentle, more loving, more giving, more sacrificial, closer to God? That's good fruit. Or are they becoming more inward, more judgmental, more hypocritical, more angry, more lonely? That's bad. And so we're told to evaluate leaders and teachers. Do they accurately share and communicate God's word, not only in what they teach, but in the way they live and in the impact that they have on the people around them? And we're supposed to judge that. We're also supposed to evaluate the impact of our efforts. You know, if you remember from the teaching three weeks ago, it said, put first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. That's something we take really seriously here. We want to be used by God in other people's lives. We believe that eternal life and eternity is the more important part of our existence. It's the longer lasting part of our existence. And we believe that we should sacrifice some things in the way we live this life in order to build something in the next life. And so if you're going to take your whole life and you're going to orient it towards this thing that you think has value, here's a good question. Are you doing a good job with that? Are the sacrifices that you're making making a difference in God's kingdom? Or are you sacrificing and working hard at something that's having no effect and could wind up being a waste of time, a waste of energy, and the tragic waste of a life. We're called to evaluate our effectiveness. And that's what Jesus is talking about here in chapter 7, verse 6. He says, don't give what is holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls before swine or they will trample them under their feet, under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is it that Jesus is saying here? He's saying we need to evaluate our ability to communicate, and we need to evaluate the response that we're getting with the approach that we're giving. He said it in Matthew 10 really well, Matthew 10, 14. Whoever does not receive you nor heed your words as you go out 
of that, of that house or that city. Shake the dust off your feet. Go somewhere else. This is an evaluation that's very important that we make as Christians who are sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ on the cross. We should be sharing that with people. And the point is not to judge them as inferior. The point isn't like, oh, they're dogs, they're swines. The point is to understand our responsibility. When he says, don't cast your pearls before swine, all he's saying is don't put time and energy into sharing the gospel over and over and over again with people who don't want it. Respect their boundaries. Now that can be hard, you know, because it's our responsibility to share the good news. We're not responsible for people's response to the good news. There's lots of people out there, and they're going to they're gonna respond very differently. But what Jesus is instructing his apostles, his, his apostles, his disciples to do here is to be faithful, to be concerned about the impact that they're having on people. And if people are honestly saying, go away, I don't want to hear this, then it's time to move on because there are others who will respond. Now that gets into motives a little bit, our second point. What are our motives for judgment? Is our motive to tear others down and to puff ourselves up? You know, there are people that you'll share the gospel with who will be hostile, and that doesn't mean they're unresponsive. There's an important dynamic that goes into that. Sometimes the most hostile people are actually the closest to coming to Christ because they have strong feelings about the matter because they've thought about it and they haven't understood accurately the whole picture. So the picture here is not if you share the gospel with someone and they have a hostile reaction, move on and don't cast your pearls before swine. The picture is give people time, give them space, pray for them and be consistent but there are people who really honestly will want you to piss off. And when that happens, do not cram it down their throat. When it comes to motives, a lot of us want to judge others because it's like junior high all over again. We're still doing the same things that we were doing. We're putting people down in order to make ourselves look good or in order to make other people feel good. And for some people, it just feels good to tear other people down. That's a way to puff yourself up. The book of Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. That's how God feels about the way that we treat each other, the way that we gossip about one another, when we clamor over one another, take advantage of other people's weaknesses in order to highlight our strengths. God says, I hate that. I hate that about you, that you do these things. Some people judge and condemn from a motive of trying to get people to comply. A lot of religious types actually do this. 
They think that, you know, this is the hell and fire brimstone preacher who goes out and gets up on a soapbox and points the finger and says, you're sinners, you're going to hell, you're going to burn. And, you know, if you sit down with those guys and you talk to them, they'll say, what I'm doing is very loving. I know it's not popular, but these people need to hear this because they need to be warned. But I would argue most of the time, love is not what's in their hearts. The Bible's very clear, 1 John 4, 18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. That fear is not a valid motivation for change. Fear will get temporary outward compliance. Maybe. But it doesn't change anyone's heart. It doesn't change the the way they want to live. I mean, think about the things that you got punished for when you were a kid, the things that you got spanked for or got timeouts for. Were those things things that made you change or were those things that made you more careful about not getting caught? God created us. God designed us. He knows how we work. God has no desire to motivate us with fear. There are good motives, though, for evaluating. Things like to warn someone who's in real danger. You may be evaluating someone's life and see that they have a drinking problem and they're they're, um, losing their job, they're losing their family, they're losing their health. They're driving on the streets. And a loving person who's connected with that person will intervene, will come in and say, this thing that's going on in your life, I love you, and I don't want to see you destroyed, and I don't want to see you hurt someone else. That's a completely different platform, a completely different place to come from in terms of evaluating someone else's behavior. And Philippians 2, 3 through 4, it says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I think that's a really interesting way of encapsulating what we're talking about when it comes to motivation for speaking into other people's lives. You don't want to do it because you don't want to create conflict. You don't want to do it because you don't want to seem judgmental. You don't want to put your relationship with someone else in harm. But if something's going on that is truly damaging that person, and if you love them, you will overcome your discomfort and your fear and be willing to speak the truth from a place of love because you're not doing this for yourself. You're doing it for them. And people can sense that. Now, some of us are so immature, we don't care. We know you're doing it for us, but it just pisses us off so bad, we're going to be snarky about it anyway. But someone who's emotionally and spiritually mature and growing will be able to look at and see this person's coming into my life at at a great risk to themselves. They don't want to have an argument with me. They don't want to make me feel bad. They're doing this because they really are concerned for me. And even if you disagree, 
with what it is that they're saying, you can have a sense of this person is, is a true friend. And really it's on us, it's on all of us, to be the kind of person that encourages that kind of feedback, that welcomes people who love us and who we know care about us to speak truth and to evaluate us. But that goes against the flesh nature so hard because we want to believe that we're not that bad. In fact, we're pretty good. But we're not. Proverbs 27, verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. We need each other. How do you sharpen someone? How do you help them? How do you move them forward without evaluating them? There has to be some form of evaluation and saying, okay, if I'm looking at you and I can say, how can I help you grow? Well, I have to evaluate you to come to a conclusion on that. And you have to evaluate me if you want to, have a, if you want to help me. But what happens with this evaluation of one another is the relationship and the motives make all the difference, which brings us to the third aspect I wanted to talk about, which is relational context is very important. What is the nature of the relationship if you're going to be in an evaluation type situation? One of the things that surprises a lot of people is that the Bible is pretty clear that we should not be evaluating people like this who don't believe in the Bible. That, you know, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you believe that the Bible is the Word of God, what you are doing is you are agreeing to a set of principles, a set of teaching, and a grid that is telling you what is good and what is bad. And it's not comprehensive in the sense of it doesn't get into every single specific thing that we might live in our life, but it gives us more than enough principles to extrapolate and to apply to every situation in our lives. And yes, there are morally gray areas where it gets difficult, but it even gives us a framework and a grid for the morally gray areas. And so when we all agree that the standard for right or wrong, the standard for good and evil, the standard for wise versus foolish is God's word, then we have a real place to talk about how we can help each other. Because we are not the ultimate standard for right and wrong for ourselves, which is what our culture is so enamored with. This idea that I decide what's right and good for me, and how dare you tell me that there's something that's not right or not good about you. Who are you to walk in my shoes? And the Bible says, when it comes to that, if that's how people want to live, we should respect that. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5.12, for what do I have to do with judging outsiders? But do you not judge those who are within the church? You see, the context here is a man is sleeping with his father's wife. And he's like, you guys got to do something about this. This doesn't even happen with people outside the church. This guy is a guy in our church who's sleeping we don't know. His mom, his stepmom, something gross. And you're just okay with this? He's like, this is not proper behavior. 
You should tell him that's wrong. You should take a stand because he's in the church. And what he's saying here is, if somebody who's not a part of, who's not agreeing with the Bible, not agreeing and not a part of the community is doing that, I'm not saying do anything. It's not your job. It's your job to look within the body of Christ and say, are we, are we doing God's thing? And again, we're not condemning. We're not saying this person is uh, going to hell. This person isn't valuable. We're not disrespecting the person. But he's saying what it is to be in Christian community is to agree that we are accountable to one another. And we're responsible for loving one another enough to bring up things that hurt. But it is not our job, and we are not called to do that with people who don't agree to the standard. Another part of the relational context here is, by and large, wherever possible, if we're going to get into sharing and evaluating someone else, that person that we're connecting with should know very well that we also are very much aware of our own problems. There needs to be a transparency and a humility. You know, this isn't going to someone and saying, hey, that thing that you're doing, I see what you're doing there, and it's gross. I would never do that. And you need to stop it. It's more like, hey, that thing you got going on there, I do the same thing, and here's how it's hurting me, and here's how it's hurting people in my own life. And if it's like, well, I don't have that problem, then pick one. You've got a lot to choose from. And make it clear. I am a sinner. I needed Jesus Christ to die on the cross for my sins. I fail. I hurt people. I hate that I do it, but I do. And I'm not saying that what you're doing is any worse than a, a, a million things that I have done. But I can say this thing that we're both saying we love God and we love the Bible, and this thing that you're doing is hurting you and hurting others. And I love you too much as a fellow sinner to stay silent about it. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that's in your own eye? We all have logs. And if you want to be somebody who's used in someone else's life, it means being very aware of your logs and making your logs more important than other people's specks. Notice he doesn't say, don't bother with the speck in, in others' eyes. He's not saying that. He's saying just the lion's share of what you need to be concerned about is the way that you are hurting other people. And there could be a teensy tiny part about how other people are hurting you. Can you imagine how the world would change if, if we were able to adopt that? How people's view of Christianity would change? This is actually very close to the heart of why I think people misunderstand Christianity so much. 
They see a lot of Christians running around making a big deal of what everybody else is doing and pretending like, they, like they're fine and they don't have problems. What if Christians were people who were saying, you want to know what my problems are? Here's all the things that are going on in my life that I'm asking God to change. Will you pray for me? Will you, will you let me know when you see me doing one of these things? That's the way it's supposed to work. So on the one hand, we have what we could call worldly condemnation, and the other we could call biblical evaluation. I think it's helpful every once in a while just to throw it up there in a chart and see them transposed next to each other. Worldly condemnation holds others in contempt. Biblical evaluation encourages and admonishes. It speaks the truth in love. Worldly condemnation arrogantly claims to know people's motives. Biblical evaluation is reserved on issues that we can't know for sure. Worldly condemnation puts others down in order to lift self up. Biblical evaluation admits its own sin without superiority. Worldly condemnation focuses on a narrow set of obvious sins. Oh, these things that you do are so despicable when they've got a whole world of things going on that they're keeping hidden. Biblical evaluation chooses their battles and only speaks when it's helpful for the other. So he goes through all this, and I hope you can see how this issue of judgment fits in with that larger question of how do we live a good life? If you get this down, this will seriously change the way that you love others, the way that you serve others, the way that you see people your ability to be close to people that are struggling and having problems and their ability to feel loved by you when they know they're messed up. And so Jesus lays all of this out and then he returns to the main thesis of the Sermon on the Mount. Like any good orator, he restates the thesis at the end of his sermon and he says, therefore, Chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them, he's not just talking about the judgment thing. He's, talk, he's talking about the Beatitudes. He's talking about money. He's talking about religion. He's talking about the heart. He's talking about love. He's talking about the way that we prioritize things and whether or not we put God first. And he's talking about our judgmental attitude toward other people wrap it all up into one thing. And he says, listen, if you will listen to me, if you will hear me on this, you can be compared to a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. He's saying this is the firm foundation for a good life. The world is the wind and it's the rain, and it's the flood. That's the world. That's life. Life is a catastrophe, wind blowing, water filling up in the basement, the house getting rocked. And he says, but if you will stick with me and you will hear my wisdom and you will apply it, the world will not bring you down. You will flourish in the midst of all of this calamity. Everyone who hears these words of mine 
and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew, slammed against his house, and it fell, and a great was its fall. And when Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as a scribe, which is like a teacher or a rabbi. There was something different because of who Jesus was. It was like, this isn't just hearing a theory. This is hearing a fact. The truth of God shared with the people on how to live a good life. All right, let me pray for us, and then we'll go outside. God, thanks for these guys. Thanks for this time together. Thanks for this awesome sermon just to come to an end of of just such a meaty section of Scripture is uh, really gratifying, really uplifting. Help us to be people that are building our house on the rock. Help us. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of calamity out there, God. And um, we've got to be ready for it. We know the way to be ready for it is to listen to you and to be there for each other. So we just ask that you'll do that and that you'll help us while we do that to be inviting and sharing with those who are out in the storm. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.